Good morning. Uh, would you please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 1 to 14, I believe it is. No, 20. No, 14. Matthew 15, verses 1 to 14. Then came Jesus, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandments of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth, draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. And may God the Holy Spirit grant us the grace to understand the text before us. Our main text begins in verse 1 with, Then, then came G uh, to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Then came to Jesus scribes, and Pharisees. It's a very small word, and sometimes it is easily overlooked. But let's go back for a moment to the previous chapter, chapter 14 of Matthew's Gospel, because this little word then is telling us something important. It's telling us that after something had taken place, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees. In chapter 14, Jesus had performed perhaps two of the most uh, widely remembered miracles of all times. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 with only five loaves of bread and two fishes. And shortly afterwards, the miracle of his walking 
on the sea or walking on the water. And everyone who knows anything about the Bible knows that Jesus once fed 5,000 with only five loaves and two fishes and that he actually walked on water. I dare say that even many of the atheists have heard of these two miracles, though they may deny them vehemently as genuine miracles. But in the closing three verses of chapter 14 of Matthew's Gospel, a most incredibly beautiful scene takes place. Jesus and his disciples entered the land of Gennesaret, which was a small region of Galilee on the west shore of Lake Galilee. And when the people of that region heard that Jesus was coming, this one who fed the 5,000, this one who walked on water, they poured out to meet him in droves and carried the sick on beds and laid them in the streets, hoping that he would come their way so that they might only, in verse 36 of 14, touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Hundreds, if not thousands, of the infirm, the sick, the diseased, were laid in the streets waiting for the appearance of the one whom they called the great physician. And he came. And as he came, many were able to touch his hem, and they were all made perfectly whole. What a scene of rejoicing that must have been. How wonderful it must have been to have seen souls restored to perfect health and soundness of mind and body. Souls who were diseased, feeble, and ruined by the ravages of sin. What an outpouring of mercy was experienced that day. Then, say the scriptures, then after that wonderful scene, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem with an accusation against his disciples. Now, whether or not these scribes and Pharisees had witnessed that beautiful scene back in Matthew 14 in the land of uh, Gennesaret, we're not told. My guess is that they hadn't. Nevertheless, the scriptures tell us that they had an accusation against the Lord's disciples. And therefore, it was an accusation against the Lord himself. Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat? Asked these scribes and Pharisees. Now, to wash one's hands before eating is a good practice. It's a clean habit and a commendable one at that. It may even rescue one from many a disease, but it is not always possible to wash one's hands before eating. And the disciples on several occasions were seen to be eating without having washed their hands. And this, of course, greatly upset the scribes and the Pharisees. Because, you see, it had become tradition among them to wash hands before eating. This became religion with them. 
and therefore not doing it became synonymous with sin. Though it was not yet punishable by civil penalties, it was nonetheless an offense against conscience as far as they were concerned. And so to these religious Pharisees and scribes, disregard for this tradition was a disregard for them and consequently an attack against them personally. For they personally taught and observed such traditions themselves. And any opposition or rejection, whether willfully or ignorantly, was seen as a direct challenge to their religious authority. They, after all, were from Jerusalem, that great city of David, the city where the Jewish temple was situated, the place first and foremost for the worshipers of God. And as we examine more closely these few opening verses, we realize the immense significance of this opening scene. Not only do we see a spiritual confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees, but we also see a direct challenge to the authority of God by the religion of man. It is man's religion, as revealed in the tradition of elders, confronting God's religion, as revealed in the commandments of God. How ironic that all of their teaching, all of their knowledge, and in short, all of their religion was in vain. Instead of bringing the Pharisees and scribes closer to the one whom they purported to worship, it alienated them from God, and blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts to the message which Jesus came to bring. John the Apostle testified in John 1.11, He came to his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. His offer of mercy was extended to even the unmerciful, to the undeserving, and to the unloving. In Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty, his words still echo in the ears of those who heard him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Unfortunately, however, we have the same sort of opposition today to this lovely man of Galilee called Jesus. Though we have no more temple in Jerusalem, nor Pharisees or scribes, we have other structures and organizations just as confrontational, concealed under the masks of modern religion, modern traditions, and modern theology. Like the Pharisees of old, the modern theologians often value their traditions more than the commandments of God. But notice what our Savior's response was in verse 3. 
Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your trans, uh, tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus ye have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition, ye hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people drieth nigh unto me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The Lord exposes their hypocrisy in this scathing response. He calls these distinguished religious leaders hypocrites who have made their profession of faith in God a mockery. They superficially mimic with their mouths and with their lips feigned piety, but their hearts are alienated from God. They, as teachers of the law, have substituted their own doctrines and practices in place of the doctrines of God, so that they, that is, these new doctrines, took priority over the doctrines of God. The Lord condemns another example of their tradition or doctrine in verses 4 and 5. In verse 4, Jesus reminds them of the fifth commandment first found in Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor thy mother and thy honor thy father and thy mother. It has always been God's will that the children honor their parents. God has given parents to children so that those parents can care for them, love them, protect them, nurture them in the things of God and to prepare them one day for service for God. There is no greater blessing, no greater security upon the face of this earth in this lifetime than a set of godly parents who love God and raise their children to be the same. When the child is hungry, they feed him. When the child is sick, they look after him and pray for him. When the child is frightened or saddened, the parents comfort him and encourage him. And when the child is young and without any means of support, the parents provide for all his or her physical needs. Knowledge, skill, and wisdom is imparted to that child by the parent. And when hard times come, the parents' patience, care, and love for their children continues nonetheless. Thus, in return, the child is to honor his parents, even if they are not believing parents, because they are still their parents. Our Savior here intends the full skill of respect and duty owed them. The parents, when they reach their golden years and are unable to care for themselves, they are to be ministered to by their children, maintained and served so that their comfort and security will be met. 
Thus, in so doing, the children not only honor their earthly parents, but also their heavenly parent, God, because it was he who gave the commandment in the first place. Also in verse 4, the Lord mentions another commandment which the Pharisees have ignored and replaced with one of their own. He that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Now we must remember that Matthew 15 is still in the dispensation of law. So everything in the Old Testament is still relevant to the Jewish people at the time of this conversation. Thus, we need to go back to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9, to see where this verse 4 commandment comes from. Leviticus 20, verse 9 says, For everyone that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. He hath cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. Children were to obey their parents. They were not to abuse them nor to curse them. The same law which required parents to be tender to their children also required children to be respectful to their parents. He that despitefully uses his parents who gave him life flies in the face of God himself. God is the author of his very own life and God will not see the dignity and authority of parents insulted and trampled upon. Proverbs 20.20 warns in the same manner, Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. And also in Proverbs 30.17, The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. This was Jesus, the Son of God, the living word himself, reminding them of the greater doctrine of God. They have ignored the commandments of God by substituting the escape clause in verse 5. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus ye have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So what they have done instead, these Pharisees, they have found a way to excuse themselves from their God-given responsibility of caring for their parents by inventing a gift doctrine. Their tradition was to bestow their worldly estate by giving it to the priests and devoting it to the service of the temple. Therefore, it became unlawful and consequently it would uh, unlawful uh, how how do we put this uh, they were not allowed from that moment on to take back to alienate any such thing so devoted and consequently it would release 
the giver from all other financial or moral obligations. They could claim that now it was invested in the Lord's work and it could not now be withdrawn for other uses. It would be unspiritual. Thus, on the surface, it appeared that they were deeply devoted to their religion because they consecrated their worldly possessions to the service of God. But at the heart of this whole matter was their covetousness, because when the parents' necessities called for assistance, the man could plead that all that he could spare for himself and his family had already been devoted to the treasury of the temple. Therefore, his parents must expect nothing more from him from here on in other than spiritual blessings. In such a manner, their doctrine of tradition justified the man from looking after his aged parents because all that he could spare was now already devoted to the temple. Now he shall be free, free from looking after his parents. In this way, the doctrine of man has nullified the doctrine of God. And the Lord Jesus knew their hearts for what they were, wicked and selfish. Their faith was a feigned faith. Their faith was not placed in the person of God, but rather in the doctrines and tradition of man. But in vain they do worship me, said Jesus in verse 9, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And this, of course, was not pleasing to God. This was this kind of faith was a feigned faith, a false faith. This kind of worship was in vain, for it was not a worship based on the truth of God with a consecration of one's heart. Then the Lord called the multitude in verse 10 and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Eating with unwashed hands in no way defiles a man. His disciples were earlier accused of transgressing the doctrine of elders in verse 2. Well, the doctrine of elders was never part of the doctrine of God to begin with. Therefore, the disciples and people in general do not defile themselves in any shape or form by eating with unwashed hands. But rather, says Jesus, it is what comes out of a man's mouth which defiles him because it is a reflection of his wicked heart. Man is not polluted by the meat he eats nor the dirty hands with which he may eat it, but by the words he speaks from an unsanctified heart. Then we come to his disciples again in verse 12, and notice their reaction to this confrontation with the Pharisees. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended? 
after they heard this saying, Lord, do you, do you know that the Pharisees were upset by what you said to them? Did you know they were offended by your words? How naive of these disciples to think that the Lord Jesus, who is the very Son of God, did not know that the Pharisees were offended. How naive of his disciples to think that they themselves would notice, but Jesus would not. Of course he knew. He could see the heart. He knew the motives. And he did not like what he saw. He contended with them because he was the source and fountain of all truth. And he was sent to be the light of men. He was sent so that they would set the prisoners free. He was sent to do the Father's will <clears throat> and to reveal the Father. And so there is a lesson here for all Christians. We are to be the light of the world, says the Bible. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew five fourteen to 16. A light has one specific function, and that is to show the way in the dark. If that light fails to shine, it fails to perform its primary function. Truth of Scripture must never be compromised because it is the truth of Scripture that provides us with light and it must not be hid under a basket. There are times when we may be faced with the unpleasant truth of contending for the faith, contending for the truth against some very powerful, influential forces, but contend we must if there is light within us. The Lord who loved every soul that ever lived with an unconditional love never compromised the truth of God, and neither must we, even at the risk of offending those whom we witness to. Our doctrine and our practice is our candlestick and light to the rest of the world. And sometimes that light is very feeble and very hard to make out. And sometimes it is quite strong. In either case, it must nonetheless continue to shine. For the warning which we read in verses 13 and 14 of Matthew 15 applies to every one of us. God is no respecter of persons. If we are not in Christ, then we are not on our way to heaven. And anything which God has not planted will be rooted up. The Pharisees and the scribes are no longer functioning today. They have not lasted. Their doctrines have been rooted up as well. Nevertheless, the enemy is always at work planting new doctrines and new practices that are after the doctrine of men, and believers must always be vigilant, testing all spirits. 1 John 4, 1 reminds us, Beloved, 
Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world today. And we can see that all around us today. We only need to open our televisions and see all of the false gospels being promoted. We are to leave such alone, verse 14 says, Jesus, if they be not converted by the word of God upon clear declaration of it, then we are to leave them alone. Let them alone, says the Lord. They be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. And so we come to the end of our message for this morning. Perhaps, Lord willing, we'll continue with the rest of Matthew 15 at some later date, if that presents an opportunity. But now, before I step down from this platform, as always, I must ask each of you and myself this most solemn question. Do we have faith in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation? For without faith, we are told in the scriptures, it is impossible to please God. Is our faith a true faith? Is it based on the person works of Jesus Christ? Or is it a feigned faith like that of the scribes and the Pharisees? I trust that everyone here this morning is in Christ and is looking forward to heaven and its glory someday. And if we be blessed, his eminent return for us before we go the natural way. If, however, by any chance you are not sure, then why not be sure this morning? Turn to him, repent of your sins, and trust his work on Calvary's cross. Receive him today as your personal Lord and Savior. He will not turn you away. Then you too can know that you have complete forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Salvation is a gift of God. It's not of works. Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9 tells us, For by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, dear friend, do be sure. So many think today that they are Christians because they go to church or they read the Bible or because they do good things and love to sing in the choir. But all of this is in vain if you have never been born again of the Spirit of God upon believing the gospel of salvation. You are still lost and dead in trespasses and sin and are headed towards a Christless eternity. So if you are not sure, I plead with you this morning while there is still yet time. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee so much for the word of God that we have in our hands today. And we're thankful, Lord, that thou hast not only inspired every word of it, but that thou hast promised to preserve every last word of it. And in it we read this morning, Lord, that it is not thy will that any should perish, but that all should come to the repentance of God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus paid it all, as the hymn writer writes. All to him I owe. Lord, we pray that this message, which will be heard on Sermon Audio, may go out and reach the souls that need to be saved, that need to hear this, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be reassured that there is but one way, one truth, and one life, and that is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We thank Thee for this morning's service, Lord, and ask Thy blessings upon each and every one of us as we part our ways this morning. And if the Lord be not come, may it please Thee once again to bring us together round His table next Lord's Day. For we do always ask it in His name and for His glory. Amen. Oh, you are awake. I thought you were sleeping. Yeah,